0: You're listening to MPR on Manawatu People's Radio. I'm Ben Schmidt from the Manawatu Tenants Union, and this week we are going to be talking a little bit about some of the latest renting news from around the country. What do COVID levels mean for you as a tenant? Uh, before we have an interview uh, with someone who has some very interesting perspectives and stories to share on renting. Um, Without any further ado, uh, this show is being recorded on Friday the 27th of August, so certainly it is the way things are at the moment, it is well possible that circumstances around COVID uh, may have changed by the time you are listening to this show. But as of today, we are in COVID Level 4, and there has been some updated guidance issued from Tenancy Services around what do the different COVID levels mean for tenants. As always, if you need any uh, tenancy advice or support, you can contact us for free at the Manawatu Tenants Union. But in short, in Level 4, everyone must stay in their current place of residence where possible, Stay home unless you are leaving for essential movement. You can only move house if required to do so by court order or if you need to use a temporary or emergency home. If you have to leave for your safety, leave. Um, If you are experiencing family violence, you can leave your home during Level 4, you can leave your bubble. At all times, safety is important, but generally speaking, stay home unless you absolutely have to during Level 4. if Unfortunately, we have not seen a... There has not been a rent freeze or a termination of tenancy freeze, as there was during the last lockdown. But if your tenancy is going to end during Level 4, talk to your landlord about extending the tenancy, and you're welcome to contact us for free advice and support. If you have nowhere to go uh, and need emergency housing, call WINS on 0800 559 009. They are there and they are prepared to help people with emergency housing when you have nowhere else to go. Uh, Landlords must not visit their tenants or carry out in-person inspections during COVID Level 4, although they can carry out a virtual inspection and the same requirements around at least 48 hours notice would apply. Um, maintenance can be done if it is urgent if there is an immediate risk to health and safety but it should not be done otherwise the tenancy tribunal is not arranging face-to-face hearings um, but maybe generally either be rescheduling um, adjourning hearings or holding them by teleconference and they will let you know what is happening during alert level 3 Once we move down from Alert Level 4, this means that tenants can move houses including between different alert areas if you are moving within the same alert area. So if you're moving in Palmerston North, which at some point in the future may be from Level 3 to Level 3, removal companies can assist in moving as long as they follow contact tracing, distancing and COVID guidelines. Uh, you should have documents with you to show that you are moving house if you're moving during level three you know such as a signed tenancy agreement Um, it is recommended that inspections only occur in emergencies virtual options are an inspection if you agree as in level four and at the end of the tenancy there should not be a final property inspection as would normally be done Um, recommendation is that tenants just take photos of everything it is still recommended that maintenance is only carried out in emergencies and that property viewings uh, do not occur at level 3 although they can happen if they meet certain um, restrict guidelines and it would also require the tenants consent um, if that wants to happen Alert level 2 really as we're getting more back to normal moving inspections maintenance can happen but it's important to make sure that COVID guidelines are still followed with distancing, contact tracing and hygiene Um, that is a and then alert level 1 we are back to normal Um, of course still following any COVID guidelines that there are so that is a brief overview of what the different COVID levels mean for some of the common issues or questions that may be coming up for you as a tenant. Moving on to the renting news. So, uh, unfortunately, like I said earlier, we have not seen a
1: mm-hmm.
0: any uh, legislative changes from the government, and with Parliament being suspended at the moment, um, that also means that we understand that means that new laws cannot be passed at the moment. So that is something we are keeping a close eye on. We are advocating for stronger measures to protect tenants during these challenging times. Let us know um, if you are experiencing issues, if you have friends, whānau, who are having issues as well. Also, um, we have just the other day we saw the Trade Me data on rents come out showing that the national median weekly, weekly rent at $550 a week in July, an increase of 10% from July last year. So tenants are still seeing these huge increases. And if we look at the breakdown of regions by regions from July last year to July this year, the Manawatu-Wanganui region had the second highest average rental price increase of 15% um, only beaten beaten's probably not the best word um, just below Taranaki at 19% uh, and all the other figures from there we're seeing increases of below 10% um, what is a very concerning to still see that our region here in the Manawatu has rapidly increasing rents uh, we are seeing tenants contact us with extortion increases, um, sometimes 100 120 or more dollars a week, that are often legal because they fall within the market rent. So this is a huge issue where we really do need the government to step up and provide rent control. Um, that is something we are advocating for strongly and would welcome the opportunity to discuss further with anyone so just to keep things moving, um we are now going to have a interview uh with someone who has joined us this week.
2: And we're now joined with uh Josh for this week's show. Josh is a student and a renter. Thank you for joining joining us. Josh, how are you going during the lockdown so far?
3: Jonna, yeah. um yeah, the lockdown's pretty good actually. Um I was getting pretty tired beforehand and about ready to just like spend a few days napping at home. So it's worked out quite well that I now actually have to do that. So I can't blame myself for not being productive either, which is real handy.
2: And is there anything else you want to say about yourself?
3: Um not not particular. I don't think there's anything else much to say.
2: So no, that's all right. And so look, one of the things we like to ask people is are there any particular renting stories? or experiences that you'd like to talk about today?
3: Um, that's a really good question. I should have come a bit more prepared. I did have a few minutes to think on that and didn't. Um, I guess, I mean, there's a few stories that come out of my time in Wellington, which are, are interesting, the flooding situation. I'm just interested, so I lived in Wellington from about 2015 to 2019, I think. Um, and the flatting situation down there was, well, it was rough student flats. I was studying at Vic, yeah. Um Yeah, so we had flats. Um, with like holes in the walls, um, like just mould everywhere. We had rats living in the cupboards, mice living in the walls in another flat. Yeah. Um, one of like one of my rooms was was I would say one and a half by two and a half metres, something like that. It was really tiny. It was just enough to like cram my bed there. I could just swing the door open past the end of the bed. And then I had this like narrow little desk, maybe like 30 centimetres in order to actually be able to fit it and then sit on the bed to be able to study. It was pretty wild. That was a fun place. But all of that was costing, I think, from 160 to 180 a week at the time. This was like, what, seven years ago? Five to seven? Um, and now, then I moved back to Palmy after living in Wellington for a bit, kind of expecting, oh yeah, you know, lower rents it's a it's a smaller town, it's provincial, it's my hometown everything's always been much cheaper here than it has been in wellington um and in the years since I've been back, like the last three years, rents have just gone up like crazy. um I moved back when I was looking so I was looking for a one or two bedroom place for myself. Mm. Um, and I was looking at probably around 2.10 a week yep. 2.10 to 2.30 a week was, was pretty standard for the places that I was seeing. Um, I thought, okay, well, for one person in 2.10 to 2.30 a week for a, a full place to myself, yep. I guess that's, I mean, compared to Wellington it was pretty reasonable. It's still not super livable, but hey yeah. Um, and then just over the years so we just had a massive rent increase come through we just got our notice for it a couple weeks ago um, which increases our rent by 50 bucks a week so we're now looking at 280 a week for a two bedroom flat um, which is apparently according to our landlord still kind of on the lower end of the market for that and that's absolutely wild Oh,
1: I I agree Um, (laughs) <laughs>
3: That's it's, crazy it's crazy in Palmy it's yeah. just yeah
2: and certainly just because it's legally right doesn't make it morally right but that is why we've still got a long way to go and a lot to push
3: for One of the- well exactly that, that was the thing that surprised me it was mm-hmm. was totting it up I went hang on this is an over 20% rent increase on what we're paying now in one go mm. um, and, and talking to, to one of the residents downstairs I, I live in an apartment or flats um, one of the residents downstairs, this rent increase puts it to over 50% of their income, mm. and that's just unsustainable. Especially because it's it's going up year on year on year. So in two three years, mm. we're just not going to be able to to afford to live in even what is a pretty um, I would say bottom end of the market flat that I'm living in right now.
2: Mm. And so when are those increases? going to be take, is that going to be coming into effect quite likely during the lockdown
3: mm, they come into effect in october we had our sixty day notice
2: um,
3: and
2: so, so what are you what do you want to see change there josh or if you were the minister for housing what would you be doing there
3: <laughs> i mean i would i would so the problem is very it is systemic it's uh it's it's not only something that can be fixed or solved by fiddling around the edges. Mm. But there's a lot that could be done around the edges that would make a really big difference to people flatting. Yeah. Um, and and one of those, obviously, is, is a control on how much rent can increase by at a time. Because yeah. um, like in previous years, my rents increased by probably around 20 bucks a year. Yeah. And that's, that sucks, but that is like possible to make ends meet Knowing like okay, I have sixty days to reconfigure my budget to try and pull another twenty bucks out of somewhere, um, and that's difficult. It's not easy, but it's a hell of a lot better than trying to do that for fifty bucks a week. Yeah, that's a, that's two thousand sorry, two hundred bucks a month, which is
1: yeah, it's yeah. a lot. It's yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> um,
3: so yeah, trying to trying to figure that out. If there was if there was like a ten percent rent increase a year yep. cap, if landlords couldn't increase by anything more than that, then at least there'd be some sort of hope that like, well, okay, I know my rent's going to go up by like 20 bucks a year, but at least it's only 20 bucks a year. I'm not going to get hit because now I've I've had it go up by 50 bucks yeah. a week. My landlord was saying that some of the other units have gone up by 70 or 80 bucks a week this year. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking, well, next year is it going to go up 70 bucks? Because if that happens, I'm out of a home. I can't afford that.
2: Yeah, and that's the problem um, having that. It's absolutely ridiculous and having that sitting there knowing, like, well, it might be more the next year, even if you did try and bargain it down a bit this year.
1: Hmm.
2: We do. There's changes. And look, thanks for sharing about that, Josh. Any other experiences you want to talk about?
3: Um, well, I could I could talk about my experiences overseas if that's of interest. Yeah. Um, I spent a short time in the Philippines. Um, kind of, I don't really know what what the right term for it is. It's, it's not really interning, but like integrating, living with and seeing the daily work of, of full time activists over there. Um, awesome. And as a, as a part of that, I spent a very short amount of time with a group called Kadamai who are a urban poor, which is is kind of like your um, informal workers. So people who have very like casual work, um, people who uh, are self-employed, street hawkers, street sellers, um, and and slum dwellers essentially, um, who aren't able to access any sort of housing rental or paid. Uh, Sorry, rental or what's the term? You you know what I mean. (laughs) They're unable to buy houses or rent them. Um, So while I was with them, we took a visit. We took a trip just out of Manila to a place called Bulacan um, where um, the local organizations, so so the way they kind of work is the activists um, are present in the communities. They... Talks people about their their problems, what's going on in the communities, um, and they try and basically prompt people to come up with solutions and work together as a collective and as a community to develop their own solutions. Yeah. Um, one of the things that had come out of the community was people were kind of staring across the road at this huge block. I can't remember how many. I think around six thousand units mm. of housing, which had been built for military officers and police officers. Yeah. Um, and their families and they'd been built around 80% of the way and then just never finished. And they've been lying vacant for years and years. Mm. And so the community said, well, we're living in in terrible housing. If we're living in housing at all, why don't we go and live there since no one is using it and no one is building it and we can just chuck a roof on it and call it a home. And, So this kind of spread throughout the communities in that area. They moved into Pandi, and there were 6,000 members of Kadamai who moved into that block. They've essentially set up their own town. Um, So they have street committees, and then over your street, you have kind of your your block committees, and then neighborhood committees leading into an overall uh, overall town committee. Um, But bear in mind also that's 6,000 members, Mm. um, and each member has a family also who live there. So when I went and visited, there were around 20,000 people living in this massive occupation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was, that was just something incredible to see the power of, of communities and people
1: yeah.
3: working together, defining their own solutions and then making it happen.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and it's been, it's been really interesting coming from that experience, coming back to New Zealand and kind of having this experience, which I'm, I think is pretty common worldwide. Mm. But that everyone kind of knows <laughs> that things are really bad, and knows that things have to change, and that we've got to do something about it. Mm. But it's really, really hard to actually work together and actually
2: collectivise
3: with our neighbours and mm. and engage in sort of struggle. Yeah, um, it's hard to know what to do, and it's hard. It's hard just to talk to people about this sort of stuff. It's not really yeah accepted.
2: That'll be is, yeah. a bit deeper in a moment, but just going back a little bit. So, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: Street committees and that neighborhood committees, what sort yep. of things did they do? I mean, was it just keeping uh repairing leaks in the roofs and making sure people pulled their weight in the community, or what sort of things yep. did they do?
3: Yeah, so, so there's an aspect of that. So, so, there's a whole lot of stuff they're doing. Hmm. Uh, essentially, it, it's kind of a pattern across the whole activist left there, yeah. which is that it, it's not just about saying no. It's not just about fighting against, you know, what what the government is doing, and and against corruption, and against um, the the kind of oppression and exploitation of bosses, and especially in the Philippines, uh, foreign corporations. Yeah. Um, but also about building up something new and building an entire new system of, of self-governed community. Mm. So these these street and, and local committees, they, they're all made up of a bunch of different subcommittees. Yep. So, yeah, you've got your really practical stuff. So there's financial committees, mm. and they also deal with making sure that there's water and electricity. Yep. Those are massive. Or at the time that I was there, which is 2018, so quite a few years ago now, Um not well, not quite a few, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, they, they they were just trying to make sure that they were still they had enough generators mm-hmm. to produce enough power for the whole community. Um, they were trying to move off shifts, so they basically because they were moving into housing, which was just completely um, uh, removed from the grid, and especially once they occupied it, the government did their best to cut them off. Yep. Um, So so they were working their generators on shifts so you could only use electricity at certain times. That was one of the major practical problems. Mm. Um, They'd set up uh, wells, um, uh, like like pump wells. Um, So water, electricity, um, making sure that there was transport for people who needed to go into town to work. Mm. Um, Very practical problems. That was kind of one of the sections. Mm. But there are a whole array of other things as well. One of the things that was really inspiring to me while I was there, was one of the committees that had been set up across the whole town and had all its subcommittees at the local level,
1: um,
3: was moving towards gardening, setting up um, community and collective gardens through all of the streets along the roadsides in the centre of the cul-de-sacs and in the space between the streets as well. Um, And setting up these big collective gardens that the community could provide for itself and also, when you're working collectively with your neighbours, you're rubbing shoulders with them. You're getting to know them. You're becoming friends with them.
1: Yeah,
3: it's just a, it's a much nicer place to live. Mm. Um, then, as well as that, they had a healthcare committee. They were setting up um, basically local volunteer um, doctors who'd get training from yeah. other like humanitarian organisations. Wow. Um, there was also political committees. Yep. So basically they would be figuring out, well, what's the problems in this community mm. um that we can campaign around? What's the problems that are going on yep. like not just in our community but in the city as a whole and in the country as a whole mm. that we can collectively do some work around. Um as well as political, you also had there were some child care committees. Oh, yeah. Um there were also education committees, yeah. so a whole series of studies um, including on like, well, what is the situation in the Philippines? Why is it that so many people are living in slums? Why is it that um, our country is incredibly rich in resources, but still very poor on a global scale? Mm-hmm. How has this happened? And so kind of studying these processes of colonization, um, imperialism, capitalism, and, and defining a response to that, which is community-led, um, it, it was a really fascinating time so yeah they 've got they 've got this whole array of of committees and work that 's being done at the local level and and driven by the local people, which is just fascinating
2: and the The other question I just had around that was did they have much trouble with equivalent of or sort of local or central government over there, or were they sort of left alone? How did that relationship work with some of your you know, your systems and bureaucracies and powers that be? Yeah, there
3: was there was a fair bit of tension while I was mm. there. Um, so one of the issues that had cropped up was the local government and local police were very willing to work with them, yeah. but the national government was not. Mm. So they had an arrangement with the local, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the, kind of the equivalent of local council, they had an arrangement there around education around where their children would go to school and what would be provided mm-hmm. for them. Um, they also had an arrangement with the local police, which was oh sorry, so one of the further committees at this um local community organized level mm-hmm. was a security committee where they just make sure that everything was you know keeping the peace, making sure no one was being disruptive, yep. and also making sure the community was safe from any incursion mm-hmm. um which is a lot more intense in the Philippines when you're also dealing with right-wing paramilitaries, which thankfully is not something we have to deal with at all here. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing. Basically, they had an arrangement with the local police that if there were issues within the community, they would be solved by the security committees, and the police would not enter the communities and cause any problems there. Um, more recently, however, I can't remember when it was. I think it was about a year ago. Um, there was a raid in Pandi okay. where I think it was police. It may have been military, but I think it was police um, came in and intercepted a, a load of magazines, which was produced by, I think it was Pinoy Weekly, yep. which is uh, just kind of a left-wing community newspaper, um, confiscated all of them, um, which is wild because it's a legal paper there's not really any basis for this. Yeah. Um, confiscated at all. I think they might have made an arrest. I can't remember the details exactly. Um, but yeah, there, ha- there has been some level of harassment um, because obviously those people who profit off of people like us being yeah. trapped in rubbish housing and paying exorbitant rents don't really like it very much when you start doing things your own way and doing things differently. Hmm. So, yeah, there, there was a level of harassment and a level of tension around that. Hmm. Um, but I'm I'm fairly confident that they...
2: Forwards. Do you think that, you know, that kind of community organising um, and communities organising themselves and change uh, would be a positive thing to, to see over here in New Zealand? Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. It would be awesome to see that yeah. and it is possible. It's just really hard
2: <laughs> I mean, like you say it's really hard to, why why is that
3: what is yeah i mean there? that's that's a good question right It's like well what what are the what is it that has stopped this sort of movement from happening in New Zealand? Um, I think part of it is that we don't really have that sort of culture anymore at least. Um, um, I mean I'm speaking as a, as a Pākehā here There's a much stronger collective culture um, Among migrants, among Māori, among Pacifica. Um But the, the, we've kind of lost the sense of unionism
1: mm. That's
3: a major issue that we have at the moment um, At least for me as a, as a student And I mean even working as well um, I found myself moving from flat to flat Um, Every year Mm. This is is the longest I've been in the flat I've been here for Two and a bit years
1: Mm.
3: Like two years Three months or something Um, And so I've never really gotten to know My neighbours you know And when I did get to know my neighbours I kind of get to know them You know be able to chat with them And then I'd move out in six months or so And this has happened constantly Like Mm. there's, there's Eight units in my flat I think only one of them has the same tenants, oh, maybe maybe two of them, yeah. um, as well as my own, have the same tenants now as as they had when I moved in. So the chance to get to know people, to build these bonds, to build these relationships yeah. that we can that we know that we'll help each other out when we need it. Yeah. That's something that is makes things difficult as well. And, and I think we also have this very individualistic culture. Yeah. Um, we're, we're very good at at Feeling feeling a sense of of pride in doing it ourselves. Mm. I mean, it's, it's kind of the classic, pakeha, you know, southern man or or your, your rural pioneer mm. kind of figure. Um, and, and we don't like having to work together. Yes. Um, and, and talk about needing to rely on other people is is not really something <laughs> a lot of people take pride in.
2: Which is um, great if you're a landlord and you're just looking to increase the rent for a whole block of flats. If,
3: oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like Those those sorts of stereotypes, those sorts of narratives, yeah. they work really well for landlords <laughs> and they work very well for for businessmen who don't like having unions. Yeah. That's that also another factor. So
2: what um, do you think it would, it would take then? Or what, what do we need to do to... to build more of that, you know, sense of community and collective action and challenge you know, those individuals of life so that we can actually organise um, you know, for a better community and for a better life for ourselves.
3: I mean that's the question, right? <laughs> the the kind of the community minded folk and, and activists have, have kind of been struggling with this for the last few decades. Um how how do you get back in? How do you um, build up that sense of community, that that kind of openness towards others and willingness to to accept help from others, mm. and and to also to provide help and to share what you have and not be, mm. you know, territorial about it. Or, it's a difficult question. I, I think speaking on an individual level. Mm. Uh, leading by example is kind of the key for me. Like you can't change people by telling them to change mm. and and you shouldn't change people by telling them to change. It's a self-driven thing. Mm. Um, so kind of, kind of providing the, the model I think is very important. Mm. Um, seeing that it works, seeing that it is possible to live differently. I think that's very important. That's something that we, haven't done for a while, as far as I'm aware, on the left. We, we, we've done a, an awful lot of, of saying no and trying to block yeah. some of the more horrific of, of government policy or, or trying to tinker around the edges, but we haven't done an awful lot of actually modeling a new way of living like, and a kind of a collective lifestyle. Um,
2: yeah, I think you had on a good point there as well because, uh, I mean, you know, most of us, and certainly of your life, you don't just want to be. Fighting against um, things all the time, but actually, you know, you want to have a bit of fun and you want to have a, a decent life as well. Um, yeah, for, exactly. That's that's what we work, what we want. We don't we don't just want rent control, but actually to get on with your neighbours and to be able to have a party with your friends. It's about those things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, there's there's a there's a positive vision. Mm. Um to it as well as it should be. Mm. So that, that's kind of an individual thing. Um, I might go on a little bit longer and talk a little bit about collective stuff, mm. which is that at least for for unions and, and for I, I guess I can only really speak for my own experiences. Mm. So in, in my experiences like we've lost a lot of the Kind of the institutional stuff that we had in place so before the 90s and, and up to the 90s when a lot of this stuff kind of not so much fell over as was kind of pushed over um we had systems of of education of mutual support mm-hmm. and we had strong unions um there'd be, there'd be space and would make space for people to come together ask questions talk to each other about the problems in our lives mm-hmm. Um, and we'd have generations of institutional knowledge about like, well, in the 1930s in New Zealand, there was a, a big um, uh, unemployed movement and a big like housing movement. Um, what are the lessons that we learned from that? In, in the 60s and, and 70s, there was kind of this new left movement where students, organizations... Um, and community unions really took the fore and, and pushed forward for something different. Um, what are the lessons that we've learned from that? Like, what's the knowledge of that? Like, I only discovered this stuff by accident. I was just, you know, reading through some articles on, on related topics and, and came across this one sentence which mentioned, like, the Ponson People's People Union. And I was like, what the hell is that? Why haven't I heard of that? And I did some really interesting stuff, but it's not, we don't talk about that anymore because we don't have those meeting spaces. We don't have yeah. that living history. So that's something that we could be trying to build up. Um, just have a meeting every now and again, every few weeks, have a potluck, talk to your mates um, about what's going on in their lives and what's going on in the community yeah. and, and figure out like what's our history. What, what is it that we've done in the past that has and hasn't been successful and what did and didn't work and yep. what might we be willing to try.
2: No. Really good points there. And um anything else you want to discuss today?
3: Um I mean I'm aware that I've talked for quite a while, a yeah. good long while longer than I intended to. Um I mean there's there's more that could be talked about, but um no, and that's kind no. of the the main things that are on my mind about renting at the moment. But uh, look, thank you, Josh. It's been
2: really fascinating um, listening, looking around your experiences, Zealand about the Philippines. We don't often hear about um, other housing actions overseas, but when they do, I often find you, you might hear about what's happening in the UK or in the US or Australia, um, but not so much some of the non-Western countries, such as the Philippines and all over the world, where there's still really organizing happening um, around housing and tenancy issues and bringing that back with uh, the need for collective action and where we go to from here. So thank you for coming on, Josh. It's been great to have you. And um, hopefully we might get you on another time to um, continue that Or
3: Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks for hitting me up.
0: And that was an interview with Josh. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Uh, don't forget, if you have any tenancy issues, questions, you are always welcome to contact us. We are working remotely during COVID levels 3 and 4, so you can call us on 27 5422071 flick us an email on info at mtu.org.nz, or get in touch by Facebook, and we will uh, do our best to help. Kaikin it. you're a fan of npr listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier just search for accessmedia.nz on the app store or google play and download the app with the kiwi fruit logo once you've got it pick manawatu people's radio from the list of stations and go find your new favorite show